Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two, season two of Dudes of Kung Fu. In this episode, our, we have an awesome guest for you guys. It's the great Burton Richardson. Uh, anybody that's in Jeet Kune Do for more than an hour and knows who Burton Richardson is, if it's not from his old Inside Kung Fu columns, it's to the incredible videos and books that he has out. This is uh, one of the top stars of Jeet Kune Do and the Jeet Kune Do Concepts Camp, whatever. And um, this was a fantastic episode, and I really hope you enjoy. Dudes of Kung Fu. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode two of Dudes of Kung Fu. Outstanding. How you doing, Alex? Really good, really good to be back, and I'm happy not to be uh, as sick as I was during the last podcast. Uh, hopefully, nobody watched that on video because I was just, I was a sweaty mess in the corner there. It was ridiculous. Oh yeah, you look like you look like the amount of sweat that gets out of me when I stand up out of a chair with my fat butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, my my daughter, you know, going to school now, she just coughed right into my mouth two days earlier, and forget it, I was sick, and they totally put me out for a couple of days. But now I feel great and back in action. Uh, how have you been? I'm doing awesome, dude. I'm very excited about today's episode. And why don't, you, right. te- why don't you tell the folks why I'm so excited about today's episode? Well, Sean is extremely excited because tonight he has a chance to showcase the level of discipline that the martial arts is known for. <laughs> and the level of discipline and the way he's going to show that is not by breaking through, you know, 10 bricks or, or performing the dim mock in front of a live audience. He is going to go through an entire podcast without using any profanity. So this is a huge deal, ladies and gentlemen. For anybody who's listened to, to the podcast for more than five minutes, they know that that's nearly impossible for Sean to, to do. And he is so excited about our guest tonight. And our, our guest wants his daughter to listen to the podcast. And one of the requirements for that is that Sean does not use his normal way of Brooklyn speak on the podcast. So <laughs> so we are going to have a chance to really see uh, uh, the true discipline of martial arts shine. And uh, Sean, why don't you tell the audience who we have tonight? We have the Mr. Mr. Burton Richardson. The, uh, for people who are in JKD for more than an hour, I know who Mr. Burton Richardson is. And um, if, you're in, if you're in JKD for two hours, you know him as Lucky Dog. And uh, he's been around for a long time and has been a hero of mine for a long time. And I am very excited. Burton, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. <laughs> really, it's a pleasure. <laughs> Serious. Yes, yeah, this is, is awesome. Burton is... Um, it, it's so exciting to have you. It's so exciting to have you on. It's uh, yeah. I know you're stuck living there on the beaches of Hawaii. How tough life. <laughs> tough it is life. difficult. <laughs> I, talk about discipline. You know, <laughs> to really be disciplined here. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on. Um, for everybody that knows you online, I've been following along with your your health. How's that going? Are you, are you feeling better? And what was going on? Oh yeah, I'm so fortunate. So I. Uh, for many, many years, I was dealing with this thing, ulcerative colitis. It actually came up when I was in college, so I was in very early 20s. And so to make a long story short, it's inflammation in your colon, and I was able to manage it for a long time, especially by changing my diet, which was terrible, and, <laughs> and I changed it to a very healthy diet. And so that helped me a lot for many, many, many years. Okay. Then uh, it just got to the point a couple years ago where they said, wow, it's it's really getting worse and worse. So we had to make the decision to actually go in 
and have my entire colon removed, which is about five pounds of uh, your intestine. And it's a big, you know, hey, that's a pretty big deal. So I uh, had that done. It's a two-part uh, surgery and pretty miserable, pretty miserable and oh boy. <laughs> difficult recovery. Uh, and then I had complications as well. But, you know, the martial arts training made such a difference for me because uh, I was really able to keep my mind positive and deal with all the adversity and just, just you know, really keep that positive mindset to make sure that I just kept going and kept going, didn't quit, didn't make everybody around me miserable. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it really made a big difference in my recovery. And now I'm feeling good. I'm finally feeling really, really good and sparring and doing the whole thing. So That's <sighs> fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Would you... Would you well, I'm happy to hear that you're you're doing well. And I'm talking about the mindset, that may come into play a little bit tonight. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, would you mind just running through a little recap of your um, martial arts biography, just for the folks that are listening? We have a lot of Wing Chun folks who may not know of you the way I know of you. So yeah. uh, would you mind? Yeah, I started uh, my martial arts training about, oh, what, about six months ago. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I read a book, and hey, here I am. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's it. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, I was interested in martial arts uh, from childhood. I grew up in a place called Carson, California, which uh, is, you know, especially at that time, was kind of a difficult place. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, you know, I'd seen, I'd been shot toward when I was eight years old. I was out at the park and all these guys were running toward me. And I was, I was out on the football field, kind of dusk, all these guys running toward me. I heard this popping sound. Then I see guys behind them running toward them. And I see the guns, right? And it's all coming right toward me. I'm like, whoa. So anyway, that was just the first gun incident in my life living over there and you said if i only knew what poxal was i can take care of that i would have been i would have taken out the whole group it would have been over <laughs> so needless to say i was interested in martial arts since i was a kid uh, i finally had a chance to actually practice and start to train when uh i was in high school my last year of high school uh, a friend of mine introduced me to it took me to the Kali academy which is about a an hour and a, an hour, mile and a half from my house where I grew up in. So, I mean, there goes Lucky Dog right there. Yeah, I'm going to uh, say, that, that's not too shabby. Yeah, not too shabby. So that was, the, my friend took me over there, and I, I watched the, they were doing boxing and kickboxing, hitting the mitts, kicking the shields. And I was a baseball player, so it was very athletic, and it really appealed to me. Some guy got a bloody nose right in front of me. And <laughs> then uh, Gurdan said, everybody get out the weapons and they started moving the weapons and i was just like oh my god i've never seen anything <laughs> like this i was just it was just done and so uh that really 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 captured me um then i started training uh, as soon as i finished high school that summer i started training then i went to usc uh and i was pre-med uh, with in this honors program for writing and literature and i was playing baseball at the same time Every spare moment I had, I took out these books, martial arts books on Bruce Lee, and I was reading Tao of Jeet Kune Do, these magazines, all these. I mean, I just couldn't get enough of it. Then, as I was finishing up my college years, 
I got that uh, that colitis started showing up, and it was really wrecking me. And I, I was told a lot of it was due to stress. And I realized if I went right to medical school, I was going to die because right. it was really, really bad. So I said, okay, I'll take one year off. One year off, then I'll go to medical school. Well, that year turned into about what, 35 now. <laughs> so, but, uh, hey, it, yeah, it's been great. It's it, been it seems great. to have worked out for you in the right way. Uh, fortunately. You know, it's something to be said about doing what you love, sacrificing. I mean, I, I was very poor for a very, very, very long time. Right. Uh, you know, when I was writing those uh, monthly articles for Inside Kung Fu, and a lot of people were, oh, wow, you know, that's where you probably really made it, started making some money, right? Like, I was making 50 bucks a month. That's what I got for that column. Wow. $50 wow. a month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People figure, you know, yeah, I must be getting thousands and thousands of dollars. 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, over time, little by little, thanks to the guidance of uh, Grudan and Asanto and all my other instructors uh, and just, you know, I think a lot of it is having an open mind and, and going and training in as many things you possibly can, not limiting yourself. So that's, I think that's really helped me to, to well, that's, have that's an incredible. interesting perspective. Well, yeah, I want... remember, uh, I remember those old uh, uh, Inside Kung Fu uh, articles you used to write. They were great because, uh, I, you know, I'm a huge Kung Fu fan, huge Bruce Lee fan. I teach Wing Chun for a living, um, but I'm always, you know, I've always been a, a huge admirer of um, Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do and, you know, realistic training methods and all that kind of stuff. And and your uh, column was like a breath of fresh air because I would only really want to read the magazine if there was something about Bruce Lee or Wing Chun in it. And then there'd be a bunch of like kind of silk pajama wushu stuff that I didn't care about. But your column was in there every month. And that was like a breath of fresh air in the magazine. And then I remember... I knew you from the magazine, and the next time I saw you was on the Hicks and Gracie documentary Choke because you mm. you interviewed him at the beginning, and I was like, whoa! He also he also you know had a chance to interview Hicks and Gracie, and then I just realized, well, this guy basically gets to do martial arts and hang out with all these cool martial arts people. Like when I grow up, I want to be able to do that too, and that was was, was <laughs> Me really <too>. cool. <laughs> was, I hope was I don't that, grow up. <laughs> was that also the time that you started to get into? Um, sorry to jump around, like get into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. That were you already doing that at the time you did that Hickson interview, or did that happen afterwards? Or how, how did your introduction to like Egan and UE and all how did that happen? So, so for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, uh, a friend actually one of my private students told me, Hey, you know, there's this guy you should really go check out. Uh, I'm training with him, and his name's Hickson Gracie. And I said, Okay, so I I set up my my very first lesson ever was with Hickson, wow, and it was great but you know i have to admit as much as i don't want to admit it but i have to admit i wasn't not open-minded enough to understand how great it was or how mm -hmm. that portion of the martial art that section of martial arts how important that was and so i took one lesson and i didn't go back and it was a few years mm -hmm. later that i started with the machados i was I was a fight choreographer on a uh, an Academy Award nominated film called Kickboxer Four. Uh, <laughs> That's and, the one with Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You've seen it. Uh, so, I uh, I had I used um, Higgin Machado and John Machado 
in that uh, that film. And I got to know more about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And so after that film was over, I started actually training with the Machados. And that's where I really started to see it and go, okay, and I, you know, it, it was better. But I'll tell you what happened. It was very interesting. I think because I was, quote, Hollywood guy and I was already kind of known for martial arts and this and that, what I didn't realize was that Keegan was kind of babying me in a way. So I'd come in and he would have me do techniques and he'd watch the technique, make sure I was doing it correctly. And each time I'd, I'd go in at least once a week or twice a week, a private lesson, because I, during class times I was teaching. And so I was learning a lot of technique. Okay, great. Well, then one day, several months later, he put me with this small guy who was a white belt. And he said, oh, why don't you actually roll around with him a little bit? Oh, okay. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm a lot bigger than this guy. So, okay. I couldn't do anything because I knew technique. I didn't know anything about controlling someone who was trying to move around and trying to get out of my positions. So I was like, wow. And then shortly thereafter, I was teaching a seminar a camp over here in Hawaii. And Egan Inoue came, as, came to the camp to just be a student. And Egan was supposed to be... Uh, teaching and the last moment he had he couldn't come and so someone said oh you know i know some jiu-jitsu a friend of mine uh, carl franks and he, he taught some jiu-jitsu make a long story short egan started showing a little bit we became friends and i started coming over here to hawaii to visit him and the first time he just said well let me see you roll let me see what, what you can do i said okay i rolled with one of his guys who was a blue belt and or not, you know, I don't even think it was a blue belt. Anyway, the guy's rolling all the time. So I start rolling with this guy. And I remember looking over at Egan when I'm finished, and he's just like this horrified look on his face, like, <laughs> oh, what a, oh gosh, <laughs> he doesn't know anything, does he? <laughs> so it was interesting because see, I knew a lot of technique, right. but I didn't know how to apply any of it because I didn't have the mm-hmm. sparring time in to get the, the timing, the distancing, the feeling, and the control. So, uh, yeah, it was quite a humbling, very, very good, a humbling uh, experience. And it continues to be humbling to this day. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. That's awesome. So the, the, the whole idea of like BJJ for the streets, is that something that um, Egan had developed or is that something you developed out of like the JKD mindset or how did, how did that come about? So when I realized that I now, so, okay, let's take something like C-Lot for, for a moment. I was able to apply C-Lot in dog brother stick fighting and some of the dog brother knife fighting stuff and a couple challenge matches, crazy, silly stuff. Uh, I was able to apply it. Okay, great. And truthfully, not being, you know, like arrogant or anything, but truthfully, uh, quite a few of the C-Lot instructors started pointing to me as evidence that it really worked in real fighting because I was pulling it off in these things. Okay. Well, I started training with Egan. And I can't do it. I can't get any of it to work. And so, like, wow, this is interesting. So after trying and trying and realizing there was a big problem, I finally said, you know what? I'm just going to go do this, what was at that time called No Holds Barred. Uh, it was before it was called MMA. I'm just going to do this because this is all working. So I just went, I'd already done a lot of Thai boxing, but I went deep into Thai boxing. But the uh, wrestling, the gra- standing grappling, the jiu-jitsu on the ground, wrestling on the ground. I started really doing that. But after several years, when I got proficient at that, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, you know, my main thing is self-defense. That's what I'm most interested in. I mean, I'll train people for competitions, but I'm really interested in self-defense. 
So I started integrating our JKD and Seelot and Kali and Wing Chun and uh, all these other arts back in to uh, MMA, basically. And like, oh, boy, that really changes things, doesn't it? So uh, BJJ for the Street is what I've been working on for probably the last 10 years of just really adding, always striking, eye gouging, groin shots, weapons, always... Every class, we either have a pistol and a knife come out during the grappling portion. Because what's the most dangerous thing? You know, if you're on, on the ground in a street fight, what's the most dangerous thing the other guy can do? Armbar you? No. They'll pull out a gun and shoot you in the head. That's the most dangerous. Right. That's what we should, we should prioritize then. <laughs> we should prioritize dealing with that. Yeah, it's really so simple. When these things come to you, it's like, did it really take me that long to understand this? To you know, to think that's the priority, but that's the way it goes. So basically, BJJ for the street is all about people who are doing it for self-defense, not for sport grappling, not for mm-hmm. MMA, but it's like, you know, we want something for self-defense. And so we prioritize first is trying to, if we end up on your back, how do you stand up? How do you get back to your feet? You don't want to be on your back in a real street fight. Uh, and we deal with the weapons, and we do. We always assume the person's bigger and stronger. So we're not doing techniques that are like, oh, yeah, this works against a guy your own weight. Uh, right. It has to work against somebody bigger and stronger. Simple, right? It's the, all the principles of self-defense that all self-defense systems use. It's like, and then we actually apply it in grappling. That's great. That's great. That's fantastic. I remember, fun, I remember when, you, <laughs> so I remember when you first started making like this changeover a little bit. Because uh, you had just had a book come out, and um, yes, my old on my old JKD forum. You were a member of my old JKD I forum. Sure was. Oh my goodness gracious! It had to be I don't know, fifteen, twenty years, maybe fifteen years ago. Over and, fifteen. <laughs> and, and and your book had come out, and I remember putting a picture up of the book saying, "Oh, Burton's new book is out." And the first post you put up is, "Yeah, I don't do any of that stuff anymore." <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That is amazing. Yeah, so, what? I know. Gosh, so I, I was asked to do this book. It was for Inside Kung Fu. So, uh, Jeet Kune Do Unlimited book. Right. And so, I worked on this thing. And, you know, writing a book takes a lot of effort. Okay. So, we did the whole thing. Finally finished it all. Like, great. It's all turned in. Da-da-da. And then there was an issue, which was paper prices internationally skyrocketed suddenly oh so wow. it made no sense to publish a book so it took five years for the prices to come back down and then they finally published it. so it was five years after i finished writing the book that it actually was published <laughs> and i remember <laughs> that so i was like hey there it is i'm like uh hate to tell you this but <laughs> All old stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it goes. <laughs> oh, but Alex, you had to see because I remember like being so hyped up. Burton's book was out, and I knew he was on the forum, and I wanted to really like help you know help him sell it. And I put this big post up, and I wrote this big long thing, and literally he put a post up underneath it, like one sentence saying, "Yeah, I don't do any of that stuff anymore." <laughs> it was so deflating. I remember twenty years later, I'm like, "Oh my god." Oh gosh. <laughs> How do you think so I funny. felt when they told me, hey, your book is finally going to come out? Like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I made the change. Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, it's good. There's a lot of good stuff in there, actually. Yeah, I'm sure it was a good book. Would, would you mind talking for a few minutes about what the old Kali Academy was like? Oh, uh, yeah. So 
gosh, the word that comes to my mind is athletic. It was very much sort of a place where people went in and they were just, it's about athleticism and learning martial arts, but so much was attribute development, kicking the shields, doing all kinds of uh, calisthenics and shadow boxing, hitting the mitts, and then the, the, the sparring as well, a very important part of it. Uh, I think a good good story about the Kali Academy is uh, when I started, what they did was they said, they, they called you and said, okay, there's a class starting because you put your name down. They said they'll call you when a new class starts. So a new class starts about 40 people in this class. And it, it re- stayed at about 40 people the you know first two or three months, about 40 people in the class. A little side note, kind of funny. One of the first days they had everybody uh, go against the wall. Richard Bastille was teaching this particular class. Put your hand against the wall, raise your leg up as high as you, you can, and hold your sidekick out there. So I hold my sidekick at about knee level, <laughs> as high as I could get my leg. I've never done any martial arts before. And I was a catcher, so, you know, I was kind of tight in the hips. And uh, I'm looking around the room, and everybody, every single other person has their, head, their foot up at head level, right? I'm like, what? I'm thinking now maybe I have a physical defect <laughs> because I cannot raise my leg up that high. But then later I found out everybody else was a black belt already and stuff. Right, right. Because wow. all that. So, so this class went on for like two and a half months or so. And then, uh, say for Richard one day says, uh, uh, you know, next week, got to bring your boxing gloves and a mouthpiece. So we're going to start our sparring. Great. So went and got my box of Everlast vinyl boxing gloves <laughs> with the plastic rubber mouthpiece that, that tasted so horrible. And so the first night there was sparring, and, and a couple guys got bloody nose. I got my, my jaw kind of tweaked and this and that. Okay, right. Next class, the very next class, there were six people in class. Right. <laughs> Went from 40 to six, just like that. Yeah, right. sure. Because there was not a whole lot of control in the sparring at that time, right? So it was a, that was kind of the kind of place it was. Went in, and when it was time for sparring, it was pretty hard pretty hard sparring but uh wow the number of great practitioners in that in that school was really amazing and then of course grew dan and richard pastillo gee was just amazing to watch them move that's that's it must have must have been fantastic because everybody i know that's trained at the uh either the Inosanto academy or the old collie academy just speaks of it with such a reverence that it just must have been like a hallowed hall there. I can, a hallowed hall of sweat, like an old boxing gym kind of thing, you know? That's really what it was like. It was very much like an old boxing gym. Everybody was in there. They, there was a school T-shirt not everybody wore, and people came in usually in sweatpants. And, and it was just, that's why I liked it the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, this looks like baseball practice to me. Right. And so, I, to me, that appealed to me. And I'm not saying that wearing uniforms is a bad thing. I'm just saying at that time in my progress, it did certainly appeal to me. That's, uh, I can imagine, imagine, I can only imagine. It's been amazing. But you should have seen these guys move. Gosh, the senior class, when they started doing their thing, oh, and then Grudan would go out there and say, okay, you know, uh, here, I'm going to do a little trapping, for example. And this would be in the advanced class. So I'd do my class and I'd sit there and watch for the next couple hours. And he'd go and just, rah, rah, rah. I'm just like, I remember thinking, I don't know what he did, but 
but it was awesome. <laughs> it was just incredible. Yeah, so, and then he'd, you know, he'd do the collie and the sea lot, uh, empty hand, and with the weapons, it was just, you know, just fascinating. So, uh, yeah, I caught the bug, still have it. I just well, can't get enough. About 20 years ago, I thought you and I were going to meet. You don't know anything about this, but we, I was at a Guru Dan seminar here in New York, and, like, word spread through wild, wildfire throughout the seminar, Burt Richardson's here. And I was like, "Why everybody's gonna leave?" I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Burton Richardson's here. It was and just like, some yeah. dude in a ponytail somewhere. In the <laughs> <laughs> it, turned, it turned out to be um, oh, like Eric Paulson or something in a ponytail. Yeah, and I'm like, "That's not Burton Richardson." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, that is funny. Oh, my goodness. Did, you, uh, did you ever train, with, ever train with Eric Paulson? Eric taught me the rear naked choke. He's the wow. first one that ever taught me the rear naked choke. We did a, for a while. We traded where I uh, I taught him C-Lot, and he taught me grappling. And wow. so, yeah, he was the first one ever. And we're still very good friends. He's just great. You know, he's yeah. he's one of those guys who is just has a really good heart he's really generous good heart really funny of course but uh you know it's so nice to see somebody at that level who just is as humble as ever and just just a genuinely good guy someone you just want to hang out with because he's a nice person how did you um was there uh even in the pre-ufc days um did you see that guru dan was already starting to make some kind of move towards integrating more of that grappling stuff was there um can you t- talk a little bit maybe about the history of how they some more of the grappling arts kind of got into um guru dan school and who the you know i know that larry hartzell originally had 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 brought in some kind of grappling influence but then eventually um you know there, there was obviously a lot more in there too um yes yeah, so yeah what happened was there was grappling all the time i mean bruce lee himself had been dabbling in grappling. I'll say right now, the one drawback of the way that they were working that is, as Guru Dan would say, uh, that it was never contested. So Bruce Lee would practice all these moves on Guru Dan or on whoever, but they weren't actually contesting him. So they weren't rolling. They were learning mm-hmm. the techniques. Okay, because that's that's the progression, right? But you you should be actually contesting it. And it was interesting because... You know, nobody's perfect, and, and Bruce Lee, he was all about sparring, 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 to actually apply what you're doing. At that point in time, maybe it was just because he was felt he was still trying to perfect the moves, he hadn't actually gone into the sparring phase. So, uh, at the old Kali Academy, one of the drills we do often was what we now call rocking chair from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but one person would be standing, other person would be on his or her back, Person standing would be circling, trying to get to the head. Person on his or her back would be keeping them away with the feet and circling to keep them away from the head. It's a very, very important drill. So we did that from way back when. But getting deep into grappling, as you you mentioned, uh, we were doing some grappling moves, some techniques in Kali and Sea Life already. Larry Hartzell moved back to uh, moved to L.A. moved back to L.A. and he really started bringing up a lot of the grappling. So he had a grappling class on the weekend that I went to, and uh, fortunate that I survived that, because there was <laughs> several neck cranks you weren't sure if you're going to survive and such. Uh, okay. I'll tell you a story. Okay, 
I love Steve Larry, and this is no aspersion to him at all. I hope everybody understands that. It's just funny because it's all on me. So one day we're working. It was summertime, uh, and he would often wear his tank top, and it was hot at the academy. And it was toward the end of class, and everybody was sweating like crazy. And so he says, okay, here, let me show you this next thing. He got in this thing where he goes and puts his arm over and basically has me in a type of headlock. Uh-huh. Very strong, but my face is in his armpit. Oh. <laughs> and it's like all his armpit sweat is right on my face. And I remember all I could smell was brute uh, deodorant. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh man. It Nin- like, 1978 hits you right in the face. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. And I just remember that he starts cranking while I'm in there. I can't say anything because everything right. I was totally covered. I didn't really want to open your mouth anyway. And uh, I'm tapping, and he's cranking this thing. And Graciela Casillas was in class. And she says, oh, Sifulari, uh, he's He's tapping. He's tapping. He's like, oh, oh, oh. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was just but Sifu Larry is just awesome. What a, again, such a good heart. I mean, you cannot find somebody, you know, look at Gurdan, Sifu Larry, like Eric Paulson, these mm. people with such good hearts. Oh, it's just, it's just wonderful. It just, just enriches you to be around these people. So uh, Sifu Larry is one of them. So he really brought that grappling in and, Gave us a lot of ideas on grappling. Then a guy from Japan came over named Yori Nakamura. Mm-hmm. And Yori, when he first came over, he I don't know how many, if it was a two months or three months, he came to visit from Japan. And he was a student in class. And it just so happened I helped him. I saw him. He didn't speak a lot of English. So I went out of my way to give him extra time in class, make sure he got it. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Uh, during Guru's class, I'd, I'd go over and help him. So he comes back. Uh, some months later for his second trip. And then he decides to tell us that, oh, by the way, I'm the Shuto champion of Japan. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, wow, amazing. So again, another really humble, humble guy. Didn't tell anybody. So he started teaching Shuto, which uh, shoot wrestling with all the locks and the lock flows and all this. So that brought everything up again, another, another level yet. But Really, it wasn't until the Brazilian jiu-jitsu came in that was a lot of sparring. And that's what was missing for being functional with it, being really, really functional. Like uh, that time I sparred with that white belt, the first time I rolled around at the Machados, I was trying basically almost all the Shuto uh, locks, and I couldn't do anything because I couldn't maintain the position to control the person to actually do the, the, do the lock. Now I can do those locks because I have the positioning. And so that was just, as far as training method goes, that's what was uh, kind of missing there. And so then the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu came in and that progressed and now it's progressing the sport. It's interesting, the sport of Jiu-Jitsu is progressing into a very, very sport-oriented direction, which has very limited applicability in street self-defense now. Mm. So interesting how it comes all the way around. Yeah, full circle. You've you've trained with Matt Thornton as too, right? I, Matt, because yeah. I've, I've actually hosted Matt for a few seminars here in New York. He's been to my house. Uh, him and his guys have been here and had dinner at my house a few times. And I'm actually consider myself a pretty good friend of Matt's. And uh, I, uh, I I thought you had trained with Matt for a while. 
Matt, with, you know, who is that? Matt Thornton? <laughs> oh, I know. He's about 5'2". That's right? the guy, right? That's <laughs> Let me tell you about Matt Thornton. Okay, first of all, you know, there are a lot of people that do not like Matt at all. They really don't like him. And I and it's because he's very outspoken. He's a very outspoken dude. And uh, I must say he is the one that got me to go from... I went through a thing where when I really realized that the stuff I was teaching wasn't so functional, I'm talking about the stuff I'm teaching. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about Guru no, right, Dan or anybody right. else. I'm talking about me. Right. Uh, stuff I was teaching wasn't very functional. So what I started doing on my seminars was I'd say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the martial part for the fighting. Then we'll do the art part, which is all the other stuff. Right. And then uh, spending time with Matt, I went up there and taught us taught a seminar for him and then we became friends and this and that and he's the one that really got me to go you know what why am i doing that why am i i should just teach the functional stuff nothing else so he had a huge influence on me of just going boom let's really take that to the next level so yeah i owe him a lot and i've learned a lot from him he's a great guy i I remember the first time he came here and we were in my basement. I teach, teach out of my basement. It was like a, I was teaching Jun, like Jun, basically what people called Jun Fan Kung Fu at the time. Uh-huh. And you I tried doing that, Oh, yeah. Oh, he had a blast with that. You know, yeah, try and pox out this while you're choking. And it, was, it, was, it was, he really is an eye opener. He was, he was, he is amazing. I think, I think, I think Matt Thornton is amazing. It's, uh, he is amazing. No, he's really, really amazing. He's, uh, gone a lot toward jujitsu now he just loves jujitsu and you know i love jujitsu too it is just it is so never-ending it is just constantly evolving there's always more to learn and it's funny if you look at it from a distance especially you know uh few what last month was my 10-year anniversary getting my black belt so i've been a black belt for a decade and you know what do i what am i working on these days my guard mount side i mean that's all there is to work on but it's there's so much to work on all the time and so much to understand it's just really it's really an interesting interesting process but matt is just fantastic besides being a fantastic teacher he's really good uh, i'm talking technically and all he's really good at making you understand hey you know what are you doing why would you do this stuff that doesn't work it's like hey that's a good question that's a really really good question you know another thing that matt uh, did that was really good for me and all my students and everything is uh, he had this no gossip rule and it was interesting because when he brought it up I was like oh yeah you're right because the normal thing I'd go on a seminar and often what I believe what happens is people don't know what to talk about right they don't want they're, they're like hey so what do you think of that guy what do you think of that guy what do you think of that guy and uh, but not like you were just asking, you know, Matt Thornton and all, but people bring it up more in like a gossipy. What they want to yeah, hear is sure. dirt. They're like, hey, what do you think of that guy? He's not really that good, right? You know, he's a da da da. And so <laughs> uh, Matt uh, said, yeah, we have this no gossip rule where we don't, you know, we don't talk about other people. You know, every once in a while, I might use somebody as an example and say, oh, look at this as an example. But it's not, oh, that guy's stupid or whatever. It's not gossipy. 
And I'm like, hey, that's that's exactly right. That is exactly what we should be doing. Because what I like talking about is fighting and how to make ourselves better fighters and through that make ourselves better people and better functioning human beings. And you're not going to become a better human being talking bad about somebody else. You know, right. we can look at other people's examples to say, oh, you know, look what that person did. I don't think we should do it like that. And you know who I really look at a lot for that stuff is me, <laughs> because I made so many mistakes. I did so made so many mistakes, and I I know I continue to, but that's you know, we try, we improve, we learn from those mistakes and get better. That's just how you do it. That's what sparring is all about. Sparring is about getting out there, and having people show you what your weakness is. They're like, wow, I didn't know I was open for that overhand. Thank you very much. Right. Except when Chris Levin would do it, I. <laughs> wouldn't be able to say thank you for a couple minutes. It's like, <laughs> but geez. Uh, but yeah, that's what the sparring is really about. And uh, to get a little philosophical, but it's so important. You know, that if you don't, okay, talk about sparring. Obviously, I think you all know I'm a really big advocate of sparring or training with resistance. It doesn't have to look like a kickboxing match. Training with the resistance where you do your technique and your partner tries to resist you because that's what's going to happen in a real fight. But what happens is that forces you to deal with problems. It forces you to see that you're not perfect. It forces you to look at your weaknesses. And so really what happens, you, you get good at dealing with adversity. And when you become good at dealing with adversity in the martial arts, when adversity pops up in your everyday life, you're better able to deal with that. And that whole thing I went through, you know, having my entire colon removed, that's such a good example because uh, I don't think anybody knew what I was going through because I didn't let people see it because why? There's no reason. And, and if I were to complain, that just makes me feel worse. And I make other people feel worse. I could always find something positive because, hey, I'm alive. I have all my limbs. There are people coming back from war who are serving our country that come back without their limbs. I'm not in that group. So I am so fortunate to only have to deal with this, regardless of how bad it was for many, many months, many months. So, yeah, that whole really going through adversity in martial art and not making it too easy actually develops you as a human being and just makes your whole life better. My, my life is great. <laughs> that's a that's a fantastic mindset, Burton. That's. That's a great way to live your life. Yeah, you it mentioned really uh, you mentioned uh, a, a moment ago uh, about Chris Lieben, and uh, that's one area we haven't talked about. At some point, you uh, uh, transition into training him, and I suppose other uh, UFC or MMA fighters as well. And how did you kind of make that jump from, I guess, the self defense end of things, and that being your focus, to then helping people um, fight in, in in that level of competition? As I made that first transition, when I realized that a lot of stuff I was doing wasn't really working, uh, especially with Egan and Hanson and those guys, I, you know, as I said, I went deep into what is now called MMA. So, uh, so I actually coached Egan. I cornered Egan in. I coached him in kickboxing. Cornered him in his first events in Japan that he fought. I cornered Ensign in his. Uh, I wasn't head coach, but I cornered Ensign in his world championship Shuto fight, which he won. And so I did a lot of that sort of thing, cornering people in MMA fights. And then I kind of went away from it a little bit as I was doing more of the self-defense. But then I was still very involved with MMA people, such as uh, Team Quest, 
uh, Randy Couture, especially, and especially uh, head coach Robert Fallis, who we're still uh, see each other and we trade all the time. And we've, it's really been nice to help each other back and forth. He's, he's Robert Fallis, just a, now uh, head coach at Extreme Couture, and he's just phenomenal, phenomenal coaching and individual. So we, uh, uh, I heard that uh, Chris Lieben was moving to Hawaii. And Fallis, Robert Fallis, actually said, hey, if you see him, just go, you know, give him a hug for me and tell him I said hello. Okay, so I happened to see him one day. I'm like, okay, you don't know me, but Robert Fallis told me to give you a hug, so here you go. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I figured that would rattle him a little bit. But uh, so one of my students was training over there also because I encourage my students to train with whoever they possibly can. I feel that if I want my student to be loyal to me, then I should be loyal to my student and loyalty to the student is doing whatever's best for them. And I know I don't have all the answers. So I let, I encourage them to train with whoever they can. That's what I learned from Guru Dan. Just, he brought everybody in. He could for you to train with and encourage you to train with whoever make a long story short. My student said, Hey, Chris, you should really have Burton come down and show you a couple things, whatever. So I did. And Chris was really surprised because I showed him, some really good stuff he didn't know and because he has a very you know you watch him in the ring it looks like he's just a caveman <laughs> but he was really technical especially his grappling people don't know before he was in the ufc he won most of his fights by submission he actually was submit arm barring everybody yeah you see him in the ufc you see this right but uh so that's how i got in there and i started coaching him a little bit and then I became his head coach. So I was his head coach for three years, and we made a lot of progress. Uh, he he uh, really, little by little, changed some things. Didn't just bang. Could still do that, but he'd go in and out. His grappling improved, and yeah, he went on quite a good streak there. So we were very pleased, uh, especially when he fought Vanderlei Silva. That was uh, quite a moment because uh, he, I think, he used twelve different things we worked on wow. in the. 39 seconds that the fight lasted and right, right, right. knocked out Vanderlei. It's pretty, yeah. I mean, Vanderlei Silver, that's that's UFC royalty, you know. That's that was his dream, that was his dream. Yeah. And uh, uh, he, we were hoping, yeah, Chris kept asking the uh, the UFC to, to fight Vanderlei. And then one day, Joe Silva, the matchmaker, calls me. And says, I tried to call Chris. I couldn't get a hold of him, but I just want to tell you, uh, Chris is getting his wish. I said, you're kidding. He goes, no, Vanderlei Silva. Wow. Wow. MGM Grand, Garden Arena. Yep. And, uh, wow, that was something. And How nervous were you when you hung up the phone? You're like, oh, man. I was just excited. I'm like, oh, great. Oh, no. Oh, God. Okay, great. Oh, wow. It was was great, too, because the very first day we practiced, Chris was just pumped, ready to start right. training for this fight, right? And then he turns to me and he goes, man, I'm really scared. Because <laughs> he was. I mean, sure. just shows you he's, no joke. he's a smart guy, Chris Levin. He was really scared. Uh, but we trained very intelligent, intelligently for it. Uh, just for you that might find it interesting is I watched all of Vanderlei's fights again, and I analyzed them. And one thing, he would get into the neck clinch and just knock people out. He just brutalized them in that neck clinch. It's terrible. And so everybody's always trying to avoid his neck clinch. And so I told Chris, I said, you know what? You're really good in the clinch. We're going to go into the clinch. 
he's not going to expect that. We're going to go into the clinch. And then we had to have something to avoid Vanderlei's rushing punches because his arms, what you don't realize is his arms are a lot longer than it seems. He has a really long reach for his height. So he punches farther. You feel like you're out of range, but he reaches still. It happens to a lot of guys. They think they're safe, but they're not. So we practice this whole thing of moving. Chris is a southpaw. Moving back, then switching leads and throwing a hook as you're switching leads to get more distance. So Chris did that, clipped him. Uh, Vanderlei neck clinched him. Chris moved to the side, started throwing the uppercuts like we worked day after day after day after day, knocked him out. So That's yeah. awesome. It was very That's satisfying. That's so incredibly cool. Yeah. Pretty That's... pretty good win there. <laughs> yeah, that was a and the camp was tough too. I mean, it was just very difficult training and a lot of sparring. And I'd jump in there and spar too, because uh I wanted to Yeah. It's good for me too to spar with Levin. Yeah, right. Every time you spar with Levin, you get better. <laughs> You posted, mean, so you posted a, uh, I, was gonna, I was going to say you posted a photo today uh, about that, that uh, from the recent um, UFC um, where it oh. was with Tra- Travis Brown's finger right inside Verdum's eye. And, but right. uh, yeah. most, most people didn't even know that that had happened, like the broken finger, like uh, Verdum didn't protest. He kind of kept going. And I think it was only pe- people only saw that in that photo. It's like his eye wasn't even messed up, which is pretty, pretty incredible incredible and see that's what fighting what real fighting is you aren't sure what's going to happen you know you you stick your finger into the second knuckle in some guy's eyeball and and he doesn't even stop he doesn't even (laughs) nothing you're like a nightmare uh (laughs) yeah oh no now what now what do we do (laughs) yeah that's why gosh and that's can I have a thing. UFC logo gun, please. Yeah, yeah please. Can we, can we change the rules for a second? Oh, gosh. What do you think? Uh, I mean, normally eye gouging is, is a big problem in UFC because a lot of fights get stopped and That's you have true. the timeouts and stuff like this. And there's a lot of discussion about um, what they can do to kind of improve that. Um, being that I've, I've never trained um, with any MMA fighters and I don't know exactly what goes on. It, what, what Do you have any suggestions in terms of what they can do to kind of reduce the amount of eye gouges that, that seem to be happening in, in UFC fights or MMA fights? One of the, is, it, is it purely the gloves, or are they not being punished enough when it happens, or what is the deal? Yeah, for me, uh, they're thinking about proposing new rules where the fighters have to keep their fingers pointing up. When they're, when they're pairing, they can't have their fingers pointing toward the, the opponent at all. Oh, that's going to be so difficult to enforce. Sure. Right? Sure. So in the, you know, you can say whatever you want. When some guy's trying to knock you out, I mean, it's a thing's are different it's really really difficult but you know i know some fighters they know what they're doing they're putting their they're threatening because one thing is when when you're in there i have not fought mma you know i did all the dog brothers and this and that but i know in mma with those kind of uh repercussions when you get hit hard uh i have a friend of mine who was a, a top mma fighter in the ufc and he was telling me i mean this is the mindset where he was on top half guard on a guy and he dropped an elbow on the guy's face and he felt it turn to mush. Wow. And it kind of made him, he said it kind of made him sick inside, but he knew what he had to do. So he hit it again. Right. Mm. And yeah, it's like, Oh God. So, you mm. know, that can happen to you also. Yes. Right. So you know, these guys are like, Hey, if I can, I'm going to skirt that line 
if I can finger that jab the little the guy a little bit and make him worried about that, I'm going to do it. You know, some guys will they if going going gets really bad. Like I I was standing grappling with a guy one time a UFC current he was currently in the UFC at that time and there was a certain trapping move that I would be able to get two arms trapped under my arm and they were asking me about that so I so anyway long story short I'm I'm in there clinching with this guy and I got to the position right and he tried to take me down he kind of got I kind of went down I came back up still had it and so I'd be hitting with the other hand both of his arms are trapped and somebody said well what would you do you know, if that happened to you in the UFC, what would you do? He goes, I'd just knee him as hard as I can in the groin. Because <laughs> they'd separate us, I'd get a warning, I'd be out of it. So, sure, sure. <laughs> so that's the mindset. You kind of, you know, those finger jabs, gosh, it's going to be tough to regulate. And can't really change the gloves because they have to have the grip. So Right, right, right. Right, sure. Yeah, yeah sure. And, and that is the thing. I mean, I think that they also feel that some fighters do play it that way. It's like, well, they know if they if they get one eye gouge in or one groin shot in, they know they're just going to get a warning. And in that moment, that may be exactly what they needed to get out of a, a, a tough situation. So I think exactly. some people feel that that's not not a very sporting thing to do but I, I don't i don't i don't know how they're going to be able to change that i mean it seems pretty uh, pretty impossible what did what did you think about i know this is kind of a beaten to death topic especially no, in the last couple of weeks but the um cm punk fighting at ufc and and whether that should have been allowed um considering the level of competition now it's not like 20 years ago um the guys who are in there definitely earned the right to be there and i mean it, it was a safety issue. I mean, I think that he he could have gotten hurt a lot worse. I think he was kind of lucky. When what do you, what was your take on on that? Yeah, I think you know, first of all, UFC is a business, so their first first obligation is to get as many people to watch. Now, so they really pushed the ethical line there of bringing yes. somebody in first professional fight in the UFC. And yeah, okay, Brock Lesnar. They're like, well, look, Brock Lesnar did it. He was a professional wrestler and came in. Yeah, but Brock is humongous. Yeah, right? he, he also had a legit. He also had a legit, legit martial wrestling arts background. Wrestling background. Yeah, wrestling background. Correct. So this is a totally different thing. And if you watch the sparring that uh, CM Punk was doing in his lead up, it was just really. It just wasn't very high level or yeah, quality. Yeah. Right? I saw that so, and I was like really shocked that that guy was going to go. I just watching him, it looked, it looked like kind of week one kickboxing kind of stuff. I was really blown away. It really did, and uh, yeah, it was too bad. So I'm glad he didn't get hurt, yeah. uh, and I doubt he'll ever fight in the UFC again. Uh, I mean, I just yeah, they just did it for a business thing. Now. I, I want to mention something else. Money-wise, uh, there were a lot of people complaining. This guy made five hundred thousand. Never even fought before. He made a half a million dollars to go right, in. Right. He brought in an extra nine million dollars in pay-per-view. That's the business part, you know. Sure. If you're an up-and-coming fighter, if you can do that somehow, there you go. I mean, uh, look at Conor McGregor because right. of his that's pizzazz. why Conor. That's why Conor talks though. Right. That's exactly right. That's and he's making money because he's bringing people in. So, yeah, just that was just business. But I would have definitely preferred them not putting an amateur in with a professional yeah, sure. like that. Yeah, yeah I was legitimately just, concerned for his safety before that fight. Yes. I mean, I just thought. And can you imagine if something horrific had like if if 
you know, Mickey had just connected with some kind of punch and then, he, you know, then, then CM Punk had like some neck trauma or head trauma or whatever. And like if he had to be carried out in a stretcher, I mean, just what a debacle that would have been for the UFC had something like that happened, which was quite possible. I mean, I was really sweating for the poor guy, you know. No, really, really possible, especially when you see his what did he do? He went out, he ran and throw that through that big right hand. It was exactly what amateurs do. They right. get overexcited, yeah. they go, they overcommit, and the other guy just takes him down. And yeah, he's lucky he didn't get elbows in the, you know, on the side of the head when he yeah. was mounted, back mounted. Uh, yeah, he lucky he didn't get really injured. So yeah, that would have been terrible for the UFC. What do you think? Uh, There's also a debate, too. I mean, everyone's talking about it. Joe Rogan talked about it on his podcast. Uh, now that uh, Connor finally got his revenge at, at 170, and then, you know, the thing is, well, is he going to fight Eddie Alvarez for the 155 belt, or is he going to go back down to 145? Um, if you were Connor McGregor's manager right now, Yes. Uh, what 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 do you think? Should he go for like big super fight? Should he go for like the you know two division belt thing or whatever? What 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 do you what's the kind of matchup you would like to see Conor McGregor have? What what, what would you kind of like to see him do at this point? Just curious. Well, if I was his manager, I think it would all be it'd be all about who's going to bring in the most money. You know, because yeah, that's what sure. managers all about, right? Sure. So, uh, uh, you know, I and also managing his career. I think he is a little worried about going back to 145-1 because the weight cut is so difficult. Right. So difficult. Two, man, Aldo is waiting for him. <laughs> you know, he... Almost salivating over that. <laughs> oh, gosh. He's knocked... I mean, Connor knocked him out the first time on their first real engagement there. But, gosh, that is a tough guy. You don't want to have to go right. fight that guy again. So. Sure. But Alvarez, who gosh, that guy's rough too. So yes, should should be interesting. So I'm just gonna sit back and watch that one. Yeah, he doesn't. Have, he definitely doesn't have any easy fights left. I mean, you know, it, he's really at the top of the food chain. So I mean, anybody that is worth for him to fight financially or otherwise, I mean, it's he's gonna be in, he's gonna have some killer in front of him. I mean, it's incredible. It's gonna be interesting to see him shine. What what do you think of his actual? fighting style i think he does some really unique stuff like lead leg kicks and, and some things that are to a certain degree actually more on the traditional side of martial arts and and i was just wondering what you think about um some of the specific things he does uh, skill set wise yeah his uh the way he's kicking is very very nice like you said more from a traditional point of view it's nice they're finally coming back to that right. after all this time um one of the things he does very interesting to me is generally if a right punch is coming you parry it with your left hand so you go to the outside of it he parries from the inside and then comes back and that's how he hit uh aldo he parried and threw that left hook but he got hit at the same times which right. is why you don't parry on the inside sure. generally, generally unless you're hitting it exactly at the same time uh, so that kind of fouls people up and i think maybe one of these days that timing is not going to work out for him, maybe. But as far as striking goes, the thing he has is he has incredible accuracy, and he's very calm. He sees everything, and he really puts uh, those punches on the button, which is, and right. he hits super hard because he's so relaxed. It seems like he has an incredible control of distance. Like that's Yes. His distancing drills, I, I would really love to – if I if I had a chance to talk with his coach, I would love to just learn what kind of distancing drills they're doing because his 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 understanding and control of distances is phenomenal. But one thing he does I know is that he does a lot of slow sparring. 
So they put on the little gloves, but they just go like half speed and they touch. So everything is exactly on the button. And he does a lot of that. And I just want to be clear when I, you know, I talk about I'm a big proponent of sparring, sparring, sparring. It's not fighting, fighting, fighting. It's sparring, which means progressive resistance, variable intensity. You don't kill each other. But by doing all that sparring like he's doing, he just conditions his body and programs it to go directly to the targets. So when he's in there under pressure, it's the same thing, and he hits that target. That's The accuracy is so important, so, so important. And uh, I think a lot of that is because of those drills he does, the slow sparring. That's, yeah, that's uh, incredible. I want to talk to you a little bit about training a little bit. Um, my right. only training right practice <laughs> um my only uh outside of being a wrestler when i was younger and a lot skinnier my only uh, mma style training has been through matt thornton where mm. it was um stand up everything was broken down stand up at a time stand up clinch ground all yes. taught with aliveness and the eye method as matt called it um you incorporate a lot more weapons than I don't know if Matt does it now, but back then he wasn't doing any weapon, any weaponry. How do, how do you train? I've seen you do some uh, sparring with the soft sticks, it looks like. Yes. Like, so, how, what, what's your methodology for training weaponry? Uh, our methodology is the same as everything else. So a typical class, we warm up a little bit. So say with the sticks, we'll do double stick drills purely for coordination so they can move the stick, move the body. Then we work on techniques, whether it's a stick, the knife, even we do sword sometimes, uh, which is actually helps your stick in knife fighting. Uh, and then after working these techniques, we might hit the shields for some power generation, and then we spar it. The sparring is isolated, and then we do full sparring. So maybe just hitting the hand, only hitting the hand and the head, maybe only thrusting. We do we isolate these things so that each individual area becomes, you know, is worked on. You become proficient in that. Then we put it all together. <clears throat> so the main thing is we have to be able to spar safely. The beautiful thing about weaponry sparring, so when you get that soft stick, you can go pretty much full speed because of the equipment, and mm -hmm. you don't have to go full power. You can go full speed without giving the pop at the end, the, the heavy pop. You can go right. full speed so your eyes are, are accustomed to that. And that's why in the empty hand sparring, uh, oh, by the way, before I go away from that, uh, Matt did do a lot of weaponry way back. Uh, I mean, he basically followed, took what I was doing, that curriculum. He asked me, I said, yeah, do it. And so he used the way I was, I was doing it to uh, get everybody sparring. And they went really hard. I mean, he got had some really good guys. But that same methodology of going, okay, we're working the technique, and then we work it into sparring goes the same for empty hand. One of the things I, I believe well, really helped Chris Levin is I put the helmet on him. Because usually in MMA, what happens is you go with boxing gloves and you spar light or you they go hard with the boxing gloves. But you get used to seeing a boxing glove this big coming in. Then in a fight, it's only this big. It's just this fist coming in. And I noticed in when I was cornering Chris the first couple times, it seemed like the first two minutes or so of the fight, he wasn't really seeing the punches. They were coming so fast. He would hit him, and then he, would, he was surprised. He wasn't really seeing them. So I put the helmet on him, and then we could go with uh, small gloves, and we could go full speed, fast as possible, not full power, sometimes full power, but as fast as we can, and his eyes got accustomed to that. 
And so right before a fight in the locker room, right when he was ready to walk out, I would be, I would have gloves on and I'd be throwing at him full speed, as, as full quickness. So his eyes were adjusted to that. And then he'd go out in the fight and he was already used to the speed and that small glove. Wow. So uh, that's yeah, incredible. That's nice stuff. That made a big difference. Uh, and still, I see most guys borrow boxing gloves, and that's not what you're going to be fighting with. You're fighting with the small glove. If you have that cage, you're not going to get cut up. That's why they don't right. use the small gloves, is because in sparring, you actually get cut. So you put the cage on, and you can see that in full speed. So it really helps the eye adjust and calibrate. Uh, that's what I'd say. These calibrate you to the punches, to the actual speed. Then they go out there. It's the same thing. So that that's one thing, something that really, really, really helped him. Do you do you like working a corner? Is that something? Uh, I know you did it for Chris Liebman. Do you, have you done it for other fighters? And is that something you uh, looking forward to doing? Even you know, guys work corners until they're old men. Is that something? Yeah. In the future for Burton Richardson? Or interesting you say that because I enjoy working the corner. Not too wild about the three-month camp. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just so much work. It's just, uh, I'm not averse to work, but it's just, uh, for me. I'm with I, your I, family and stuff. Right, family, and also being able to do the work for lots of people. So when you're focusing on one particular fighter, uh, you know, it's a, it's a something I really enjoyed training Chris. But it was uh, very, very intensive, and yeah, just it did take a lot of time from the family and from my other students. Uh, but there's a big learning thing. So for me personally, if somebody really wants me to train them, I'll train them a little bit here and there. I don't think I'm going to go full coach, you know, head coach anymore. But uh, yeah, it's possible. But I do like cornering uh, people. Like I cornered Barrett Yoshida in three Abu Dhabi's World Championships. Nice. That was. That was really fun, and yeah, so I like that aspect. But uh, you know, I really focus on helping normal, average people with self-defense. That's that's my real goal. I want everybody to just be able to train more efficiently, more functionally, because my, uh, for me, my responsibility is that I know some of my students are going to get into actual situations. Sometimes it's going to actually right. happen, so I need to prepare them the best I can. And then we keep it fun, so everybody's having a good time. And then, uh, as I mentioned, it was just, I mean, I didn't really know this was happening until a few years ago, that training very realistically, which includes being disappointed. You go home some nights, you're like, yeah, gosh, I didn't do anything. I couldn't get anything in. You you go home disappointed. But that's a big character issue because we have to realize you can be disappointed, and it's okay to be disappointed. You learn from that, but you cannot let yourself become discouraged. Courage. We need courage to keep going in life, keep doing whatever our goals are. We need courage to keep going for those goals. Once you become discouraged, you quit. So, you know, you have to learn to deal with disappointment. If you want to do anything well in life, anything big, you have to deal with disappointment. So you can do it in martial arts all the time. If you're training right, sure. correctly <laughs> and you learn how to deal with disappointment, uh, then you just can't let yourself get to that point of being discouraged where you go, because discouraged is where you quit. So that's, I think, a huge thing in our martial arts training is uh, understanding difference between disappointment and discouragement and learning to deal with that disappointment. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. 
Yeah. Hey, Sean. By the way, I just wanna I just wanna congratulate you. You've done a great job so far about not using of not using any profanity. I just want to say, <laughs> hey, <laughs> very nice. Focus, the, the focus pod- and discipline. The That's podcast right. isn't over, and I have two teenage. <laughs> still, and as soon as we get, as soon as we hang up, I have two teenage sons. I'll just go curse them out, and we'll get it all. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Burton, do you have any uh, upcoming seminars, workshops? Are you going to be in New York City anytime soon? What do you have coming up? I will be in Tokyo in a couple weeks. Uh, First week of October, I'll be in Tokyo. I'll do eight workshops there. Then I'll go to the west to Akayama and do two more workshops. Then I'll come back home for a couple weeks, two and a half weeks or so. Then I'll go to Los Angeles, uh, do a seminar at the Inasano Academy. Uh, oh, on cool. the nice. 5th and 6th of November. So you got nothing going on then, basically. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Bored, bored, bored. <laughs> uh, I am currently uh, editing the first section of BJJ for the Street, the curriculum nice. DVDs. So it goes white belt, white belt, first strike through blue belt. Plus, there's going to be an instructor course for people who are already progressed in uh, BJJ. They actually have legitimate grappling skills. Uh, I'll be in New York next year. That's the plan next summer. I'll be doing a tour, probably going to Europe, and then coming back to New York and be there for a while. Got a great guy out there. Yeah, that'll be fun. Got a great guy out there named Israel Cruz. This guy. In in New York City? Yep, New York City. He's uh, the head of the NYPD uh, tactics unit, uh, tactical training. Uh, He's just... I mean, I don't want to embarrass him. He might listen to this. But Israel, (laughs) this guy, you know, let me just tell you, you guys in New York, you should know. 9-11 happened, right? And and obviously you remember it better than any of us away from New York City. Uh, Do you remember it took a while before the government to actually send military and actually start doing something, right? Because, you know, you got to take your time and make sure you're Mm -hmm. doing the right thing and all. Okay, so it took some months and all that sort of thing. Uh, but there were, I believe it was 12 guys or maybe 15 guys, something like this, or 11. Anyway, a small group of guys were called in right after 9-11, and they uh, were special uh, forces guys. And they were taken to the Pentagon, I believe it was, and they had a meeting with the president. And they went over there. Like eight days after 9-11, they were in Afghanistan, and Israel wow. was one of those guys. Wow. He was there for six years doing special forces. He's a Green Beret, uh, you know, of course, Purple Heart, of course. Uh, Thank God for his service. Yeah, I mean, just he did so much stuff until the car he, truck he was in ran over an IED and he got blown mm. up. And wow. somehow he survived. And somehow he is now capable to do everything, even though what he went through with that. This guy is the nicest, fun, fun guy. But if you ever want to learn how to shoot, this is the guy. If you want to learn some serious stuff, this this is the guy, and he's such a good guy. So hopefully you get to meet Israel. Israel, yeah, Israel, Israel Cruz, you said? Israel Cruz. Yeah, look him up on uh, Facebook. You, I think he's Junior Cruz on Facebook. Yeah. But, Junior uh, Cruz? Yeah. yeah. He, was, he came out and helped me with the Sealot for the Street book and videos at Black Belt Magazine. He also uh, came out to help shoot the Sealot for the Street DVDs. So you'll be seeing more of Israel. Awesome. That's uh, so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when you come to New York. I definitely would like to uh, 
meet up with you and yeah we will yeah, we should we should fun. we should all go out and would love to invite you to come to my uh my school my school's a relic it's like one of the last kung fu schools left in new york city and oh and that is awesome yeah it's, we have uh, really? very lucky we have a two floor two floor wing chun school here right in the middle oh, of everything that is and, great it's a and, phenomenal yeah, school so. barton you have to see alex's school is phenomenal it's and like you know, it's really old world kung fu man it looks awesome can I just mention something about Wing Chun? You know, sure. you know how it is, JKD. Oh, well, Wing Chun, well, we evolved from Wing Chun. You know, we're better than we, all that sort of stuff. You know, Wing Chun has so much good stuff in it. And, and you know what I find to be very interesting is when I'm boxing, I mean, talking about boxing with boxers and such, I use a lot of parry and come back, right? I use a lot of scooping and hitting, and that works very well. And sometimes I get a guy who is at a level that I cannot do that because you're, by the time I parry and come back, they're already covering that. If I scoop and come back, they're already, they have the defense, they're in and out, whatever. Do you know, I'm, a, I'm talking about UFC fighters too, we're boxing with here. Uh, you know what I use on those guys that has worked consistently over many different guys over years and years? Poxow. Right. Because... I'll be here instead of going one, two, or one, two. You go in the middle of it, and they're not you. They're used to throwing a punch and then blocking one at the same time as their arm block, locks out because you slip and hit at the same time, right? Or parry and come back or slip and hit. They're used to that, but they're not used to throwing a punch and getting hit right there, right? right. So you're waiting. As soon as they step in, you you come in at the same time. I tell you, that timing, the Wington Paxau timing, that has worked really well for me uh, against, that's what I use against guys that are really good. That's what I can spoil. Very cool. So there you go. Yay, Wing Chun. Yay, Wing Chun. Yay, Wing Chun. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, And uh, Burton, do you know, uh, you know, Dr. Mark Cheng? Have you ever met him? Uh, Oh, yes. uh, Yeah, Dr. Mark Cheng. Dr. Mark Cheng is one of my very close friends. Actually, when I go oh, to LA, I great. usually stay with him, and he's also the um, godfather to my first daughter as well. So, Sad, uh, right. yeah, he's yeah. Great. So, have been been very close to him for a number of years, and 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 yes, yeah, very very small world actually. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we. I was teaching at UCLA, and I, I think I met him there. He brought uh, a Shui Zhao instructor to UCLA, and I went to the seminar there. And uh, yeah, it was yes, yeah, so I've known. Mark for a very long time. He's very just cool. another one of those quality individuals, a uh, great exponent of martial arts. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Alex had brought him on the show. Uh, yeah, he was it. a guest on, one, on on our first season. We had him for one of the podcasts, yeah. All right. He was a lot of fun there. Cool. Fantastic. Burton, this has been amazing. I, I've had such a great time getting to know you. This is fantastic. I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's it's been eye-opening and a lot of fun. Well, great. Thank you. I, I just enjoy talking about it, and hopefully I can learn something and help other people learn something. And You know, I would just say my little catchphrase, that's the thing if I could leave you with as far as martial arts goes, is sure. if you want to learn how to fight, you got to practice fighting against someone who's fighting back. Right. That's it. Simple, right? Outstanding. And enjoy it. You just have to have fun with it because you can't get too serious because there are always people who can beat you. Sure. And you get too serious. It's, the training's no fun. You don't train as much. So we yeah, <laughs> just enjoy it. 
have a good time with it. Awesome. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it. All right. Enjoy the enjoy the rest of your day in in Hawaii. We're gonna go to bed now. All right. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go over. We're actually gonna shoot a, a video for my uh, my monthly video that I send out to all my instructors and people on a certain program. So very cool. Very all cool. right. Uh, thanks all right. Very take much. care. Thank Talk you. Soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Bye.